Well, good morning. So glad you are here this morning. If, you, if you've never met me, my name is Joe, and uh, I get to serve as one of the pastors here at the chapel, and I feel like I haven't been here in forever, so it's so good to be here at our Norwalk campus. And before we jump in to the message this morning, I want to let you know about a few things coming up. Uh, the first one is we have a family game night. This is coming up on March 3rd. And uh, to let you know a little bit about it, here's some words from our family ministry director, Jen. She says this, uh, Chapel Kids hosting a game night for families who have kids in preschool through fifth grade. This is a fun night geared towards Chapel Kids age group with the intent of providing a place for the whole family. So so unfortunately, this is not one of those drop your kids off and then, you know, go out to Chipotle for a while. Uh, This is is stay and have fun together as a family. Uh, We're going to provide a place for the whole family to connect, laugh together, and get to know other families as well, too. And this is a good opportunity to invite maybe a family that you're friends with. They're a little leery about coming to a Sunday morning, but you say, you know, you want to come and hang out with us, have some food, and play some games together as a family. If you've got older kids in high school, you can bring them as well, too. So that's coming up uh, at which campus? All campuses. Look at that. That's cool. And uh, that's going to be, I don't know why it says, yeah, 6 p.m. My screen over here says 8.57 a.m., like right above it, and I just realized that's the clock. I was like, man, that is an early game night. <laughs> Whew, there's an all-day event. Okay, uh, so be, mark, mark your calendars for that. It's going to be awesome. Uh, next one, uh, Habitat for Humanity update. And uh, if you remember this past summer, we got to frame a house for Habitat Humanity right at our Sandusky campus in the parking lot. A lot of you were a part of that, too. And uh, just to give you an update on it, this uh, house is taking a little bit longer than expected due to the winter weather, but we are anticipating a move-in for Angela Martin and her six children sometime in April. That's, that's awesome that we got to be a part of that, too. Uh, so anyone who had a hand in the construction of that is going to be invited to the dedication also. Stay tuned because another Habitat for Humanity house is going to be built at our Chapel campus in Sandusky again this year. And that's going to happen on August 19th. So you might want to put that in your calendar right now if you'd like to be a part of that. So cool that we get to be a part of building a home for someone else. What an incredible way for us to show the love that we have received from Jesus in a real tangible way for other people. And then lastly, tonight is our worship night at our Sandusky campus where we get to bring all of our friends from Norwalk, all of our friends from Port Clinton together. It's going to be an incredible night of music, hearing some testimonies, being able to pray and just see how we just want to position ourselves in a way for God to move and we get to be a we get to experience that together. I'm pumped about this. It's going to be amazing. This is going to be tonight, 6 p.m. at our Sandusky campus. We'll go till about 7.15. So hope to see you all there as well. Uh, and today we are finishing up our series in Galatians. And we are about to start a new series next week leading up to Easter. So to give you a little bit of a primer for that, would you do me a favor and turn your attention to the screens?
Yeah, so over the five weeks leading up to Good Friday and Easter, we're going to be talking about the armor of God and how we equip ourselves to wage war against the enemy. So don't miss it. It's going to be incredible. I hope that video gets you excited for that as well, too. For today, though, we have made it to the last part of Paul's letter to the Galatians. And throughout the first five chapters, Paul has clearly developed his thesis about freedom. That's what we've been talking about is freedom, and freedom is so important, uh, especially in America. Like, that's, that's our thing, right? Freedom. And freedom, Paul says, comes from believing the gospel. The gospel is, the, is the, the reality that even though every single one of us is a broken, sinful human being who, in, through our words and our actions and our attitudes and behaviors, have turned our back on a holy, perfect God who created us and created our universe— that that God looked at you and looked at me and our brokenness and loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to come here to, to earth. And he lived a perfect life in perfect community with the perfect communion with the Father. And then that perfect God went to the cross and he took the punishment for your sin and for my sin. And he took that upon himself so that we could be reconciled with God. And that's not where the story ends because three days later he came back to life proving that he had victory over death and promised us the same thing, an eternal life in him if we just place our faith in him, if we trust in him, believe in him. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus. And Paul says when we believe that with our hearts, that that gives us freedom, freedom that pleasing people will never give us, freedom that following rules and religious systems will never give us, gratifying our selfish desires will never give us, and money won't give it to us. Then I was like, all right, hold on. Money? Come on. Because I'm, I'm like, that's like my, like I, I, my, I love gifts, all right? I know Jesus said it's better to give than to receive, but I'm trying to like put that to the test all the time. And so I was like, is it true? Like money can't buy happiness. So I, I found, I'm reading this book. I'm doing this, a study on this book with some other guys. It's a great book. It's called, uh, it all, When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box uh, by John Ortberg. If you've never read this book, it's phenomenal. And uh, he has these quotes in here from famous, famous wealthy men. And these are some of their quotes. So this is right, right from their mouth. So this is from W.H. Vanderbilt. He says, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There's no pleasure in it. J.J. Astor says, I am the most miserable man on earth. John D. Rockefeller said, I have made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Andrew Carnegie says, millionaires seldom smile. And the last one, Henry Ford says, I was happier when I was doing a mechanics job. So it is true that money will not bring us freedom. I keep finding myself trying, though, right? I've said it before. I think I'm only one Amazon package away from, like, fulfillment. But we'll see. I don't know. And, and so we find out that only Jesus can bring freedom. Uh, and as Paul concludes his letter, he gets down to brass tacks to say, well, what does this actually look like? How does this freedom play out in our lives? So we're going to be in chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 1 through 3. So if you have your Bible, please open that and read along. Um, if you have the Version app or the, 12, the Dwell app on your phone, you could use that as well too. And I'll put the text up on the screen. But he says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this, in this way obey the law of Christ. 
If you think you are too important to help someone else, you're only fooling yourself. And then he nails it, right? You are not that important. First of all, don't you just love Paul's bluntness right there? Uh, You're not that important. He says way too often we think we are important. Now, we are important in that we are all created as image bearers of God. And if you are a believer in Jesus, you are a child of God. But we can easily become self-consumed with, so self-consumed with our own lives that we don't pay attention to the needs of other people. We don't see others who, who are around us. Maybe, you know, we have some influence over them because they're a friend or a family member. Um, maybe they're in a small group together. We don't see them sometimes people who are subtly or sometimes blatantly going off the path of following Jesus. And Paul makes it a priority to tell us to shift our eyes off of ourselves and onto other people, to help others, especially those who are struggling, and especially those who are struggling with sin. With this in mind, is there a family member, a friend, someone in your small group that has been following Jesus, but it just seems like they're falling off the path, they're veering off the path? Maybe they've walked away because they're angry with God over something that they've gone through. Maybe they have the attitude of like, okay, I don't get it, I did everything right. I'm at church 52 weeks a year, 53 weeks on a leap year. I'm in small group. I went on a mission trip. I've been baptized. I give. And and like this still, my life is still a train wreck. Like I'm doing my part, God, but you're not doing their, God's not doing his part. So they start to throw in the towel. Or they run back to a relationship or a behavior that you know is going to cause havoc and pain in their life. Or they want to do what our world or our culture says is acceptable and how to live. And then the next thing you know, they're compromising their commitment to following Jesus and compromising some of their morals. Or maybe they claim that they're following Jesus, but the way that they treat other people, people who don't matter to them, like servers, clerks, uh, you know, other people that, that they don't, you know, they don't know. Maybe that judgmental spirit towards other Christians, things like that are showing that it's not, because, you know, I think they would say, yeah, I know we're all saved by grace through faith, right? But that guy's saved weird. I don't know. He's just like, he's not right, okay? You know, he's got like long hair and tattoos and stuff. It's just, he's weird, okay? And maybe you think like, all right, yeah, we're saved by grace through faith, but maybe you think that in some way you earned it. Like God saved you because he knew that you'd turn out to be a decent person and you start looking down on people whose, who's, uh, you know, idea of Christianity doesn't fit your narrative. And, and so you start, you start to like become judgmental and love, unloving towards people. And maybe you know someone like that and you're just afraid to do something, you know? Because if this is true, what are you going to do about it? Maybe you're not going to do anything because we don't really like confrontation, right? We don't like awkward discussions. We don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. We don't want to make the, we don't want to make the relationship tense, right? We want things to be comfortable. That's how we spend most of our lives, trying to be comfortable, and I got you for 30 minutes, and I'm going to try to get you out of that comfort zone, right? So maybe we don't do anything. We don't say anything. We don't address some things that our people are doing because we're like, ah, I don't want to upset them. I am so thankful that I have people in my, in my life like Pastor Charles, my wife, guys in my small group, who not only have the right but the obligation that if they see me doing something or living in a certain way, they have the right and the obligation to step in and say, Joe, what is going on here? You know, they, they, they come in with, this is what we need to do if we experience this. We come in with grace and truth, and we grab them by the hand, not the neck, even though you might want to, and help direct them back onto the path. 
to remind them that they're looking for something that only Jesus can give them. Whether it's freedom, happiness, companionship, forgiveness, whatever it is, it's not there. And then a little later in chapter 6, Paul paints a word picture that can't be any clearer when it comes to following our own desires or following Jesus. And this is so important that we're going to spend the rest of our time today on this. Let's begin in verse 7. He says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Paul says you can't mock the justice of God. You see, the, rea- the reality is in our world, God the Father is mocked all day and all night by people who attempt to mock them. And even in some ways as Christians, we, we do the same thing. We say we believe in Jesus, we trust in him, and, then we, and the, the reality is we don't always live that way. But we're deceiving ourselves because God cannot be mocked. Humans attempt to mock him and act as though he doesn't exist, he's not actually alive, he's not actually coming back, and he's not actually gonna enact judgment. But God cannot be mocked. There will be no loose ends. No one's getting away with anything. Justice delayed is not justice denied. There will be an account of how every single person has lived, and either we experience the consequences or we trust that Jesus has taken those consequences on himself. But the opposite is also true, that God blesses us when we live according to his plan. Now, what what does bless mean? Because I think that that word has taken on a lot of meaning that it doesn't necessarily have. You've seen it. Somebody is holding up the keys to a new house, standing next to their new car, and it's like hashtag blessed. And then the person who's been like following Jesus faithfully for their whole life is still living in a one-bedroom apartment with an old beater struggling to make ends meet. And you're like, why isn't God blessing me? Because blessing isn't always prosperity. Yes, sometimes it is, but it can also, but blessing is also having a closeness with God. It's also peace because you are forgiven. You are no longer God's enemy. Blessing a lot of times comes through relationships like God has blessed my life with people. God has blessed my life with friends and brothers and sisters in Christ who I love and that they love me. And, and, some t- and God has blessed you and blessed me with spiritual growth as we become more mature and, and we grow closer to him. And sometimes blessings don't look like blessings. Maybe you've been through a hard time and you're like, man, that didn't seem like a blessing at the time, but where I am now, I see it. You know, I went through a really tough time this past summer and it was difficult. And I kept praying, and I was like, God, I'll go where you send me to go. And he's like, how about you go to therapy? And I was like, oh, I didn't didn't mean that. I meant like Africa or something. And so, like, I had to go through these really difficult things where some junk in me was revealed. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't ever want to go through it again. But because I did, man, God has brought myself and my family to a completely different place where I have a stronger trust in him and a closer relationship with my wife and kids. And so sometimes blessing doesn't always look like blessing. And so with this in mind, Paul says that you will always harvest what you plant. Here's a way of, of, it, of saying it that I think will stick with you the way it sticks with me. It says, what you sow will eventually grow. What you sow will eventually grow. Let's say this together, ready? What you sow will eventually grow. Let's do it again. What you sow will eventually grow. Now, It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that this is true. Like, I'm not a farmer, okay? You could go outside and say, hey, that's a potato tree, and I'd believe you. 
but I know some stuff, all right? And you know this. If you plant corn, what do you get? Corn, okay? All right, good job. Let's do another one. If you plant wheat, what do you get? Wheat, all right? If you plant watermelon seeds, what do you get? Watermelons, awesome. You should all join FFA. You're... We understand that what you sow will eventually grow from an agricultural perspective, but do we realize the exact same principle applies when it comes to our very lives? Ralph Waldo Emerson puts it clearly when he says, if you sow a thought, you'll reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. So if you, the more you think on something, the more you entertain that thought, the more you have that thought, the more you allow yourself to have that thought, the more likely it's going to become an act. What you think will turn into action. And after you continue to act upon that, next thing you know, you've, re, you've, you've ended up with a habit. Could be a good habit, could be a bad habit. And then if you continue that habit, it becomes part of your character, who you are as a person. And that character ends up being who you will be. The Apostle Paul would say amen to this. Because Paul goes on to explain that the result, what eventually grows, has everything to do with what you sow, what you plant. He gives us two different seed options we can plant in our lives. Here's the first found in the first part of of verse 8. He says, those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. Let's call this type of planting self-centered seeds. It's really easy to plant self-centered seeds. Because like we said before, each of us believes that we're the most important person in the world. And our brain's default is to think about ourselves. And there's research that supports this truth. We talk about ourselves more than anything else. Uh, we use our own experiences to make assumptions about other people. We tend to think that through this filter of me. And our brain is wired to think about ourselves when it's not engaged in other external demands. The research is pretty clear that we are mostly thinking about ourselves, and we think that, that other people are mostly thinking about us as well, too, that they're looking at us or thinking about us. And so we often plant seeds that benefit us. I was on Facebook the other day, imagine that, and uh, I spent a lot of time on social media, and I noticed that there are quotes that people will share, and they seem kind of like, wise at first, but then when you really dig into it, you're like, this is either really self-centered or dumb. Here's some actual ones, all right? Uh, only surround yourself with people who make you laugh. How do you do that, all right? Is there like an interview process? Like, hey, I'm looking for some friends, all right? You want to come in for an interview? You got 10 minutes to tell me a joke or you're out, all right? Only surround yourself with people that make you laugh. That means only surround yourself with people who will benefit you, which is a really nice way of keeping yourself from having to associate with anybody who's at struggle, who's going through some difficult times, who has a messy life, or who maybe needs something from you. Here's another one. You deserve better. You know you do. Okay, I can understand where some areas that might be true, but as a general principle, the Apostle Paul would not say that that's true. And if you go to the book of Romans, you know, chapter 6, verse 23, where it says that the wages of sin is death, really what we deserve for the way that we have lived our lives is condemnation. And yet God has given us what we didn't deserve. Another one is this. You have your own life. Why waste it focusing on others? Your own life? Did you create yourself? Did you decide to be here? Is this your air you're breathing? Reminds me of this joke that this guy, he's arguing with God, and he says, God, I can do anything that you can do. 
And God says, oh, yeah? The guy goes, yeah, I can make a man out of the dust of the ground just like you did with Adam. God goes, all right, let's see it. So the guy gets on the ground. He starts gathering up, like, dirt and dust, and he's, like, trying to form it into, like, you know, a person. And, and God's like, whoa, 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 hold up. The guy's like, what? God goes, get your own dirt. <laughs> right? But we live with this delusion sometimes that, hey, this is my life. I'm captain of this ship. I get to do what I want to do. How's that working out for you? Here's another one. I'm committed to bettering myself for me and only me. Man, that's a, that's a pretty shallow way to live, in my opinion. And that's my opinion. And when we live out this kind of mentality, we're constantly sowing and planting self-centered seeds within relationships, within families and friends, with our finances, workplace, schools, and even here at the chapel. And most of the time, we're not even consciously doing it. But unfortunately, over time, and I mean this can take years to happen, Paul says that self-centered seeds are eventually going to grow into a crop of decay and death. That means our lives will be the opposite of life-giving. We're going to become toxic. We're going to become hurtful to God and to other people and ourselves. And, and I've experienced this because I've done a lot of funerals. And I know within the first 15 minutes of talking to the, to the survivors, the, the family, of whoever it was that passed away, whether they lived for themselves or they lived for other people. And it's not that that person wasn't valuable, wasn't loved, wasn't cared about, but I'll be like, man, tell me, you know, about your grandfather. Tell me about your dad. What were his passions? What did he love? How did he like to spend his time? And they're like, oh, man, he, he really loved Dr. Pepper and taking care of his yard. And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be a short service, you know? And then you have a guy like Ted Todd Enderley, who 3,000 people show up to his funeral because he spent his life planting spirit-centered seeds, caring about other people instead of himself. If you live your life as if everything is about you, then all you will have left is that, you. Because what you sow will eventually grow. Thankfully, Paul gives us a different seed that he can plant. We can plant, he says, but those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. Let's call this spirit-centered seeds. This is the complete opposite of being self-centered. We say, not my way, but have it your way. That sounds like a Burger King slogan. It's like, not my will, but your will, God. You are in control. You set the agenda. Over time, Paul says that planting these spirit-centered seeds will eventually grow into a crop of life. This means that our lives are going to be life-giving for God and towards other people. Because what we sow will eventually grow. And to show you how practical this principle is, I want to show you th in three areas of our life where this applies. So let's talk about relationships. Self-centered seeds would be pride, anger, jealousy, bitterness, gossip, conditional love. Maybe you know someone like this. Maybe you are someone like this. Where if you think about it, if you're like, man, what does my life really look like? I think it's a lot of these. You know, I do seem to get angry all the time. I find myself always angry about what other people have. I tend to be bitter. Like, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want a parent who has conditional love. And maybe some of you have had parents or have parents who have conditional love where you feel like you're just never going to measure up. Like you're spending your whole life trying to do everything you can. And all you want to hear is your mom or dad say that they're proud of you and that they love you. The opposite 
is this humility, patience, peaceful, forgiveness, truthfulness, unconditional love. Unconditional love that says, I don't love you as my child or as my spouse or as my friend because of what you do, but because of who you are. If I look at this in relationships, I obviously want to be someone who is spirit-centered. What you sow will eventually grow. Let's talk about our finances. Self-centered seeds, insatiable desire for more. You know, that whole idea that I'm one Amazon package away from having it all together. Stinginess, envy, living above your means. Spirit-centered seeds are contentment, generosity, being thankful, living within your means. Some of the, some of the people that I met who, who I felt were closest to Jesus were the people who saw their stuff that God had given them and held it with an open hand. Right? That it wasn't theirs, it was God's. And they would do with it as God directed them. Because what you sow will eventually grow. And also in our faith in Jesus. Self-centered seeds, apathy, judgmentalism, feelings-based, treating God like a genie, my will be done. You know, apathy is that, uh, you know, I know I'm gonna have some chair time today. I got a really busy day. I'll get to it when I get to it. The reason I get up early to do my chair time, which here at the chapel is what we would call like spending time reading the Bible, um, spending time in prayer or journaling, uh, talking with God. The reason I do that first thing in the morning is because if I don't, I guarantee you that the enemy is going to find a way to keep me busy enough for the rest of the day that by the time I get to bed, I'm like, you know what? I'll do it tomorrow. Judgmentalism, again, feeling like, Man, the way that you live out your Christian faith is the right way. Feelings-based. You know, I've, maybe you've gone on a mission trip. You've, gone on, you've been to like a camp. You got baptized, whatever it is. And you're just like on this spiritual high and you're like, yes, this is what it's like to follow Jesus. And then Monday hits and you go back to school or you go back to work and you're like, what in the world happened? Like, it's just like normal life again, Right? And it's, and it's feeling like, man, if I don't feel like, like I'm in love with Jesus and he loves me, then it's not really there. Treating God like a genie. You know, the same God who we pick and choose which of his commands we like to follow is that same God that we run to in tears when things are falling apart. The opposite is this discipline, grace, faith-based, relating to God as your father and your will be done. Discipline knowing that, man, any relationship takes work. Grace, knowing that none of us deserve God's love. Faith-based, understanding that my feelings don't dictate how Jesus feels about me. Relating to God as a father and ultimately saying, God, you know what? Your will be done. I don't think I have to convince you that the life that we're living right now, every single one of us is the result of the seeds that we've planted along the way. Humans make, an average human adult makes about 35,000 decisions a day. I was blown away when I heard that. That's 35,000 seeds that we plant a day. That's a lot of words. That's a lot of thoughts. That's a lot of clicks. That's a lot of actions. And if you're feeling like you're reaping a harvest that looks more like death and decay than life, maybe it's time to stop planting self-centered seeds and instead sow spirit-centered ones because it's never too late to start. And although the process of growth can sometimes take a long time, it's absolutely worth it. Listen here to the words of Paul. He says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Tim Keller explains this process well. 
New farmers experience a lot of anxiety watching the dormant seeds for weeks and feeling like it's never going to come up, but it always comes up in the end. Choosing spirit-centered seeds is hard. There's a lot of unknowns. I, I talked to a friend of mine who's a farmer, and I asked him about this. I was like, is there really a time where you're just like not sure if this is going to work out? And he goes, yeah. Every season when you plant, the weather makes a big difference. There's a lot of variables, and you just aren't sure. But when you start seeing green pop up, it's one of the best feelings in the world. But it goes against our, our natural desires to plant self-centered seeds or to plant spirit-centered seeds because self-centered seeds are easy, right? They're cheap, and oftentimes other people pay for it. They produce a fast crop. You can just throw the seeds out and they'll grow, but guess what? It's all crabgrass and poison ivy, and it's all yours. Spirit-centered seeds are difficult. They're not easy. They're costly, and they cost you, but it creates fruit, fruit for others. But if you do it consistently, daily, purposefully, after a while, days, weeks, even years, the growth you will have in your life will be beautiful. But it's not a quick return, right? We want air fryer Christianity. But we know often good things take a while. You wouldn't just like join a gym, go the first day, go home at night and look at yourself and be like, didn't work. You realize it takes some time. Fruit takes a while. What fruit are we talking about? Well, man, if you went through chapel kids... You should know the fruit of the Spirit, right? But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Anybody else remember that song from Chapel Kids? Am I the only one? Thank you. Yes, there was some jam team. Like, that's the only reason I know the fruit of the Spirit is from the fruit of the Spirit song that I learned in Chapel Kids. But this is what will grow in you if you plant the right seeds. Those things, God developed fruit that will bless others. Paul puts it this way, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Paul says to do good to everyone, especially those in the church, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. So this means that we should be a blessing to all, but we ought to be, we ought to be especially concerned with those within our own family of believers. You know, the life of a believer is is to be an agent of God's healing and transforming grace into a broken world. That's what we do, especially, but there's a special emphasis on the church who are brothers and sisters in Christ. We ought to go all out for them. I mean, what does it look like to our world when we don't even take care of each other and we let non-essential issues divide us and cause us to hate one another? And the only way that we can overcome this is when we plant spirit-centered seeds because, again, whatever you sow will eventually grow. And so as we close our time together today, and we close Paul's letter in our, in our series in Galatians, I want to end by simply reading Paul's words to the Galatians, because Paul's words exemplify the life-changing truth that he has embraced in his own life, that whatever we sow will eventually grow. May we do the same. And so as we close, um, I'll just ask you to bow your heads as I pray Paul's words from the end of Galatians. Father, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whatever we have been, whatever we have been, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. 
From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you all for joining us this morning. I hope you have a great week. Hopefully we'll see you tonight at the worship night.